0: Abigail Barnes is an award-winning entrepreneur, author and speaker on personal productivity, a topic that is really close to my heart. She's also a qualified coach and creator of the renowned 888 formula and founder of Success by Design Training. Now, a few years back, Abigail had a life-changing moment and life-threatening moment, which she now uses as a wake-up call to inspire and motivate audiences, leaving them excited to take action. Since I first read Stephen Covey's masterful Seven Habits of Highly Effective People many years ago, The genre of time management, self-improvement, and productivity have always fascinated me. Now more than ever before, we must seek mastery over ourselves and how we spend our precious time. Listening and acting on the lessons in this episode will surely be time well spent. I'm Steve Lazarus, and this is Your London Legacy. I've got a special offer for you. Regular listeners to the podcast will know that at the end of each interview, we ask our guests to tell us one or two of their favourite places in London that is personal to them and perhaps not everybody knows about. Well, I've now compiled for you 60 of my guests' favourite places in London, and you can get this unique brochure 100% free. Alongside each guest recommendation is a brief quote explaining why they love the place, a lovely picture of it, plus links to the venue and the podcast episode itself so you can check it out in your own time. It's completely free and all you have to do is go to www.yourlondonlegacy.com on the homepage and click on the red button where it says Guests, Favourite Places in London. Click here for your free copy. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did creating it for you. Keep listening. Best wishes and keep safe. Steve. I'm delighted to welcome to the uh, podcast today, Your London Legacy, Abigail Barnes, award-winning entrepreneur, Author, speaker on personal productivity, a qualified coach, and it says here, renowned uh, founder of the renowned eight eight eight. Did I put enough eights in there? Three eights, eight eight eight. Formula and success by design training. So you don't you don't sit around much, do you? You don't you, you fill your days by the looks of it. Yeah, it's good to keep busy. It is good to keep busy, and um, we've had plenty of time to sit down and think about how we spend our time over the last. You said it. How many days? How many weeks now is it since lockdown?
1: Well, it's um, week twelve, but for me, it's week thirteen since I started my show.
0: Ah, okay. So we'll talk about that. Is this your? When you say your show, is this your YouTube show? Is this your? So
1: I started a show. It's called the Productive Wellbeing Show, and I started it on the sixteenth of March, twenty twenty, um, and it live streams to Facebook and to LinkedIn. It started off every day, so we did 19 days straight, and then we moved it to three days a week, and we've just kind of responded to what's happened with the coronavirus global pandemic and how one day we were flying around the world, and the next day the world was in lockdown, and then now it's in a slow unlock. So
0: I don't know if it's better now or worse. It seems more more uncertainty now and more grey areas and ambiguity about what we can and can't do than, than when we started. It's all very weird.
1: I think this is an interesting thing about life. Um, I had a speaker on the show, and it's something that I've sort of been aware of myself and with my story, which we're going to touch on a little bit later. But life is an evolution it always evolves every single day it's never going to be the same and um, you don't want to be the person that you were when you were a teenager Um, perhaps you're happy with the person that you are now but you would like the energy of the teenager so then it's really about working out okay well what is it that I want my life to look like and who do I want to be and who do I need to be and what do I need to do what what do I change in my diet my um my sleep my health my everything
0: Life does change every single minute of every day, and every day is a fresh start, isn't it? It's it's um, quite remarkable. Uh, and what you do are all the things that I I, I love and am fascinated by in terms of time management, productivity, self improvement, well being. I suppose mental health, everything. And I suppose the first I, I've always been fascinated by it, but I'm I'm thinking back now, literally thinking on as we're talking, and the first time I ever really understood that I had a fascination for the genre, I suppose, the genre of self-help and self-improvement was when I picked up a book by Stephen Covey. You're probably familiar with it. There's, I think it's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And at the time, I was working for um, a corporate, fairly significant corporate company in this country dealing with property, as I still do now, but now I'm self-employed. I have my own business. In those days I was working for a company. And I picked up this book. We're sitting around a pool in Cornwall having a summer holiday with family and kids, and I'm reading this book, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And there was one phrase in there that's always stuck in in my mind. I don't know, I'm sort of paraphrasing it, but it was along the lines of having your ladder up against the wrong wall. And it's always, always been in the back of my mind. And I sat back, I remember sitting back thinking, what the hell am I doing with, you know, with my life, with my career, with where I'm going, with where I want to be? And ever since then, I've been a, a voracious reader of all things to do with self improvement and productivity. Not, in, not in a woo woo sort of way, but just always wanting to learn and, and, and improve incrementally. So, when a speaker and an expert like yourself—I well, say an expert, an expert in the the University of Life—as much as anything else—appeared on my radar, I thought, "You got to, you got to get on the podcast." So, um, it's fantastic. It's fantastic to have you here, and. Tell us a little bit about your story because it is an amazing story and looking at you now, looking vibrant and healthy and smiley, you just wouldn't have imagined that uh, a few years back you you were in a a pretty dark spot, I guess.
1: Yeah. and. I would say your life is an evolution. So I was in stages of darkness from you know childhood to, to today, I would say. And it sort of transpired that I'd always wanted to run my own business, Steve, but I just didn't know how to do it. And in the days when I was sort of looking at it, it was very much do an education, get a qualification, go and work in the city and, and have a good job and, and, and fit in and be a good girl. So, um, I had sort of spent my life doing my degree, um working in the city, doing a job, being good at it, not really enjoying it, getting made redundant, trying to start a business, not really knowing what to do, going back and um, getting another job, getting good at it, not really knowing what to do, getting made redundant, going back, like trying to start a business going so if for sort of 10 years i had this whole kind of i'm going to i'm going to do it i'm going to do it i'm really going to do it and then it just never happened until one day at the 25th of february 2012 i went on a work business trip and i had sort of always thought that once i go on this work business trip that's it i'll have made it for reasons we can discuss uh, sort of later as to why being on a work business trip was something that I associated with success. So I'm on this work business trip and I arrive in Boston. And uh, 24 hours after I arrive, I find myself being woken up by a doctor in the hospital, being told that I'd had a stroke. So... I'm 32 and these kinds of things don't happen to healthy 32 year olds who have no history of this who you know run 26 miles a week eat pretty well probably had you know been eating and drinking a bit too much uh, good food good wine um, as we do but there was just no it was like, it happened out of the blue and when we spoke to the doctor and said because they then had to investigate why this would have happened and and what it actually meant they said there's no real reason well there's a medical reason why this happened but it it, just chances of this happening are like one in a million and so obviously sort of that was eight years ago now
0: do you have any recollection of I mean you say you work work up in hospital do you have any recollection of the moment that you actually had the stroke?
1: yes 100% I mean obviously this is I'm paraphrasing a a, a long story into kind of short snippets and um, I have talked about it before in the past in many other places (laughs) so if people are interested they can go listen to but for the benefit of your audience today yes um, I felt every single minute of it I hit death's door I thought I was going to die I begged universe creator god source of all that is uh, for a second chance and they said hold on a minute we'll work out we'll we'll work it we'll come back to you (laughs) so I basically was in a kind of spiritual limbo if you like for about 18 hours while they were deciding should should I have a second chance or should I not was that it had I had I done had I done it had I tried it And I just sort of was laying there while I'm in the hospital and they're trying to diagnose, et cetera, et cetera, slipping in and out of consciousness, just begging, 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 I'm sorry, please give me another chance.
0: Is it when you say begging, begging, begging? Is this like one of these near death near death experiences that you often hear with with a with, a, with a bright light and you're above yourself? No,
1: so there was no there was no bright light. This was not like a glamorous near death experience. All my friends and family were lined up. You know, we love you. Please don't go. There was none of that. It literally was. I'm in my friend's parents' guest bedroom. I hit death's door and I thought, that's it. I'm going to die. And I said, Is this it? Am, am I going to die? And they said, No, we're not ready for you yet. So I say, oh, well, I, I don't want to die. And they say, okay, we'll get back to you. So this is kind of all in the spiritual, weirdy, woo-woo
0: sort of side of it. So you, are you actually unconscious at this this stage, or to all intents and purposes?
1: I'm not unconscious, but I would say at this point in time, if um, you've ever spoken to anyone who's had a stroke – my body started to shut down because my brain basically was being flooded with blood because I'd had a blood clot had come loose and it had sort of started pumping my brain full of blood and this is why people have disabilities as a result and this is why people have you know different degrees of brain damage every stroke is different it it can affect different parts of brains and it's also affected by how quickly you can be treated medically fortunately i was staying at my friend's parents house at the time and her mother had called an ambulance. So literally, as I'm hitting death's door, falling on the bed, unable to breathe, thinking I'm drowning in my own lungs, like I've lost now control of my whole body. I'm in total paralysis. The, um, the ambulance come crashing into the room. <laughs> and They're like, oh, Abby, Abby, are you drunk? Are you on drugs? Can you get up? And at this point, I'm just like in my own head, like, please just do something. Anyway, they, they literally kind of drag me out of the house, get me to the hospital. First hospital, don't really know what's wrong with me. Fortunately, my friend's dad negotiated that they take me to the second hospital, which is um, Boston, Massachusetts General Hospital, which is known to be the best place to be for brain injuries. So if you ever want to... Sort
0: of, if you ever get a stroke, that's yeah, the place Yeah, have a stroke. To.
1: Make sure it's in Boston. So then obviously they do the MRI scan there, which shows up what had happened and... That was sort of me being woken up the following day because it it started at eight o'clock on the Saturday morning and it was probably eight o'clock the following day when this doctor is waking me up and saying, hello, madam, you've had a stroke. We need to take you to in the intensive care. And I say, can I go to work on Monday? <laughs> <laughs> and the doctor is like, no, you're going to be here for at least a week while we work out what's wrong with you. And this was just sort of how much I was in a different world of the career, the job, what people think. I'd be told off, I'd get in trouble for for being ill, for being sick, et cetera, et cetera. So it was all a big wake up call, literally like, oh, my God, my boss is going to kill me because I haven't died. was all I could think. Because illness is weakness, or that's how it was seen in the city in those days.
0: So you thought you you, you thought you weren't ill enough.
1: I, I thought if you're not dead, there's no excuse. Like you've there's no excuse for you not to come into work. It was very and in some ways this was kind of how I was raised. Like if you're sick, like is it are you really really sick? Go to school. Are you really sick? <laughs> or yeah. So you know, interesting.
0: So how long were you in in hospital for?
1: So I was there for five days in uh, what I'm told was sort of the luxury ward because obviously I'm in the US, it's a private hospital and I have medical insurance, but I could not have cared where I was as long as it was quiet, as long as it was dark and as long as the machines weren't making too much noise because my brain had swelled inside my skull and there is nowhere else for your brain to go. So you have to wait for your brain to shrink back down again because you can't take your skull off.
0: So they didn't have to operate. Ultimately,
1: no. So literally nothing. So I'm there. They they do the MRI scans. They work out that it had been um, a blood clot. I can't remember the exact medical name of exactly what it is um, that happened. But um, and then so that it gets to the end of the week, and they're like, right, you haven't got a hole on your heart. You haven't got this. You haven't got that. You haven't got the other. We're going to let you go. So I then get to the end of the week and think at the beginning of the week, I'm like, can I, can I leave? Can I go to work? By the end of the week, I was so scared. I was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave. What if, what if it happens again? What if anything happens? And they were like, no, you're fine. We've booked you a flight. You're on your way back to the UK. So I get back to the UK and I am just in absolute shock because now my brain can't process what's happened. I've got no physical illness. I've got no physical disabilities. I well, let's not sugarcoat this. I didn't stroll out of the hospital, but I did walk out of the hospital. So then I go into an incredible depression um, and I have anxiety and, and then I've also got survivor guilt. Like really, really serious. I don't even know why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because maybe, you know, it's part of how you how you process it. I wasn't laughing at the time. I was I was in bed. Like I can't go to a meeting because they're gonna think i faked it everyone's gonna think
0: i faked it because i look all right so i must be all right so so were you not encouraged to have a week a month off recuperating or did they just say yeah no 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 no. no.
1: so i took time off so i had about sort of six months off um okay different therapies with different people to process it also to work out like how I could go back to work. Did I want to go back to work? And they were really good. They were really, really good about it. They sort of, you know, extended sick leaves and all sorts of things to to really support me on all of the journey. But this is why I do what I do today, because I have so much empathy and understanding for the journey of mental health and that it cannot be seen and you cannot snap out of it and you can't shake somebody and you can't, motivate it out you know it's a journey and each of the tools that exists out there helps in different degrees had i known about something called emdr at the time i um probably would have sort of gone down this path and it would have helped me a little bit more
0: you'll need to enlighten me i have no idea what emdr is
1: so it's an eye movement therapy where they shine lights in your eyes and it helps with anybody who's got ptsd or trauma Um, and it's absolutely sort of like cutting edge stuff it's incredible I haven't actually had it done yet but I have had it recommended by a huge number of people who've had traumas of all sorts Um, it helps to reprogram your brain and I guess in many ways this is where uh, interests overlap so I need to believe that I can rewire my brain that my brain is plastic that I can Change all sorts of um, neural pathways, and that I can feel how I want to feel, do what I want to do, live how I want to live, etc. etc. So, with this need to feel this, it's then sent me on a journey to investigate is this the truth? The amazing news is it is the truth, and I'm absolutely obsessed with neuroscience and brain plasticity. Um, I am kind of almost weirdly stalking a professor in the US because. He's just put out so much information. I spend my days reading it, watching it, listening to it, commenting on it, sharing it. Because when you've had a wake-up call, it suddenly makes you realise that the only thing that matters is your health. And this is what maybe the coronavirus has you know, done for people, is they have suddenly realised that my health is paramount. And then obviously the second thing is shelter and then family and the human needs kind of... Model that
0: a variety of people talk about. Were you interested in this in this area prior to
1: absolutely the, this this
0: watershed in your life? You, you were just focused on your version of success, presumably at that time.
1: I just wanted to start a business. I had no idea what I was going to do, and I until I knew what I was going to do, I just did what I knew, which was the corporate job. So I'd done a degree in marketing. And I studied a postgrad in the evenings and weekends when I was doing my one of my jobs. And so I just was sort of on a path to understand marketing and become a marketing expert, which I would kind of describe myself as today, because I've done Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours of it. But it was only in those months when I had to work out how to put things back together again. And it's funny, um, people say, well, what was your first step? And my first step was to grab my laptop off the floor, drag it onto the bed because I just couldn't get out of bed. I mean, what was the point? My brain couldn't understand that now I know what life's about, that we're all going to die. What's the point? Because we're going to die. So if I do anything, I might die sooner. So I kind of got into this fear thing of, well, I don't want to do anything because I don't want to, because I'm not ready to die. But then I wasn't living. So I wasn't making. So it's a a bit of a complex thing. And it's kind of one of those. If you've had a near death experience or had a life changing sort of illness, which I know you have you'll.
0: Well, yeah, I wouldn't. Certainly not. It's certainly not in your category. I mean, but the podcast we're on today wouldn't exist. But for the fact I was in hospital a couple of years ago, had a couple of back operations in quick succession was flat in my back, couldn't You know, couldn't do anything for a period of time. So ended up listening to audio books and radio and to keep myself amused and stumbled across podcasts, which at the time I wasn't even really aware of, I guess. And so one thing led to another. I said to myself, yeah, I want to do a podcast when I come out and I want it to do with my business and I want to drive traffic to my business and use it as a marketing tool. And anyway, I, I was very fortunate because I, well, I say fortunate. I was proactively fortunate. I, um, when I came out, I started to do some research into one of the guys I was listening to, a famous American podcaster called John Lee Dumas, who's got a, a huge podcast called Entrepreneurs on Fire, EO Fire. He's got a very successful multi-million pound business wrapped around the whole thing. And I came across his British partner, his UK partner, top guy, Mark Attsworth. Say hi, Mark, <laughs> from Captivate FM who hosts my podcast, and he mentored me through the, pro- the process of setting up a podcast. Now, none of that would have happened were it not for the fact I had the misfortune, you know, relatively minor in the scheme of things, to have a couple of backups. But does it – well, the answer, I suppose I know the answer to this. It shouldn't take people like you to have the, mis- the terrible misfortune – life-changing experience. And I I can reel off many others who've been on the podcast as well. who have had horrendous things, you know, from attempted suicide to uh, horrific spinal injuries to all sorts of horrible things happening to their life to change it for the better. They suddenly realize, shit, you know, I, I nearly died or my life has changed dramatically from what it was. Now I can see, as you just said, life is finite. I've only got so many hours in the day and This is where your eight 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 comes in, presumably. I'm going to die at some point, and you know you can count the days. You can do an exercise and start ticking them off your calendar if you want. It's pretty scary. Do the exercise and try and work out how many books you've got left in you before now when you die. That's a pretty horrible uh, thing to do because there's not not a lot of books the way people read. And then you can say, and then you can actually say, I've got a finite period of time, finite period of days. How many more days ago am I going to see my wife, my kids, my parents before they go? I need to do something different. And it's not getting on a train, going off to work, buying the jag, you know, the, the handbags or whatever. I don't know. whatever. I, I know you used to like high fashion, didn't you? Yeah. I guess you, maybe you still do. I don't know. But maybe it's not on your top of your priorities anymore.
1: Well, I like it in a different way now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in what way?
1: before it used to be a status symbol and now it ah. is just pure enjoyment I love it because I love it I love the quality I love how it looks I love how it feels I love how it smells so before it used to be look at me and now it's I look at it
0: so that's being in the moment isn't it really that's enjoying the present
1: which yeah it's changing the way you look at things and the things you look at change My one of my foundational mentors Wayne Dyer used to say
0: let's take a very quick break just to remind you if you love the show and would like to get involved, grab some cool stuff, get shout-outs on the show, have us create your very own London Legacy show, or you meet up with us in London for a coffee or something stronger, just head over to www.patreon.com forward slash your London Legacy. Okay, let's carry on with the show. So uh, tell us a bit about what you're, what you're doing now and some of the programs you're involved with and your thoughts. Tell us about your thoughts on time, because time is a really, really weird thing. And it's changed beyond all – for a lot of people, I would guess, it's changed beyond all recognition, our perception of time since lockdown, because before we're running around all over the place with our days, getting up and going off to work and coming back and having dinner and going to bed, and then all of a sudden, stop. That has completely stopped for the last, you know, so many weeks. How has that affected you personally, and how has it affected the people you coach and mentor and speak to on a daily basis?
1: So just to tie that all into sort of my – rock bottom moment, if you like. So I drag the laptop onto my bed. I open the laptop and I find YouTube. Now this was eight years ago. People are going to be like, what? It wasn't really a big thing. The internet was really sort of only, you know, it wasn't dial up anymore, but it was only kind of starting to grow a little bit. So I started searching personal development and found um, the amazing Tony Robbins, who I had no idea who he was. And so I started to watch Tony Robbins work. And then I moved from Tony to Les Brown and then to a a whole heap of other people. And this suddenly lit something in me and made me realize that time was valuable and that how we spent our time and what we shared with our time and how we um, communicated it to others Could add value to people's lives and it could become your legacy. So it's almost like I was planting seeds in the ground. Now, to bring this to sort of where we are right now with the coronavirus, it's almost like eight years ago, I had my lockdown. And so I've been rebuilding for eight years. So I understand exactly where people are, and I understand that at the very beginning of the sort of the 10 weeks, it was real um shock, anger, upset, um fear, anxiety, and worry. And then as the period of time's gone on, it's these emotions, but to different degrees, because it is a wave. It's almost like the grief, the grief cycle, the grief wave of um, being sad for your old life and then for your new life and then what is your new life and and the fear of the unknown so in all of it I've sort of been on this real journey of myself personally recognizing that how I spend my time and how I invest my time you reap what you sow And so it it is really about sort of taking time out, enough time out to dream, if you like, about what you want your life to look like based on who you are right now um, and, and what you'd like to do and what you'd like to achieve. I mean, you have no idea what that's going to feel like because you've never been there. But it's just it's just in you. You saw somebody else with it and you want to do it. So you're dreaming And then it's a case of what do I need to do with my time in order to achieve that? So the 888 formula helps people to recognise there are 24 hours in the day and it is divided by three pillars. And there's two pillars that sandwich in the most important pillar, if you like. The first pillar is sleep or rest. We all need to sleep or rest between six to nine hours a day. So let's call that eight. And then society says that we need to work. So they say an eight hour day. So let's call that eight. So then if you're only good at maths, eight plus eight minus 24 leaves you the eight left. So that eight in the middle is your life. So I will sit down with somebody uh, who says, I don't have enough time. I'm overwhelmed. I feel, you know, disconnected from my life, et cetera, et cetera. And we will use the formula to help them recognize which part of the eights is leaking, if you like, their, uh, their joy, their happiness and which, which, what things are they doing that are, are not contributing to their life? Why are they doing it? Is it a habit? Is it a belief? Because a lot of the things that we do on a daily basis come from what people told us how society is living their life. So we go to an office, we do a job, we commute. So then the interesting question is, where does my commute go? I say in the middle eight. They're like, no, but commutes work. I commute for work. I said, no, your eight-hour work is your eight. Well, I don't I don't want that commute to come out. Then I'm like, now we're having an interesting conversation. Do you want to work from home? Do you want to change your job? Do you want to move to a different place? Do you want to work for an organization that allows more flexibility? So the 888 formula allows me to have conversations with people to help them get into the possibility helicopter and see that their life could be different, their business could be different, their relationships or lack of could be different when they change where they're allocating their time. Like Netflix and chill is kind of cool, but if you don't have a relationship, maybe you want to switch your box sets up for going out and meeting people. (laughs) Obviously
0: not really right now. But this 888 idea, you say 8 for sleep, 8 for work, 8 for your life,
1: we call that activities, yeah.
0: Activity, but the whole the whole twenty four hours, each of those three pillars is is your life. Yeah. And the the eight the eight hours work is a crucial part of your life. So, presumably, you've still got to be happy with that with that part, and not isolate that. It's got to be integrated into the whole, hasn't it?
1: Yeah, and that's why we see it as a whole, because otherwise, if we if I just did time management training for for people in work, which I did at the beginning. But I started to recognise that things weren't working for them. Why aren't they working for them? Because they're tired. Why are they tired? Because they're not getting enough sleep. Why are they not getting enough sleep? Because they're going home and they're doing their admin their personal admin at one o'clock in the morning why are they doing that at one o'clock in the morning because they're cleaning the house before why are they cleaning the house get a cleaner so it literally everything is connected and when you understand you have 24 hours every day how you allocate that 24 hours is your choice if you want the life of I don't know Beyonce Richard Branson Elon Musk JK Rowling um, Oprah Winfrey any of these people you have to look at what they have done with their time and how they manage and allocate their time, and yes, you know they all have assistants and helpers and support now and staff, but they didn't at the beginning. So what can you do and incrementally change it, one percentage at a time on the journey? But be committed to to take control of your life, of your time, and say, okay, this is my life, this is my time. I'm not a victim. Nobody's stealing it. I have enough time and change that belief I have enough time how many people do you hear that say I don't have enough time and the irony is during lockdown during lockdown I don't have enough time and it's like you've had you have more time than you've ever had before well now I have to homeschool the kids okay well let's explore that what does homeschooling during lockdown look like how diligent do you need to be why do you want to be like and everything is a conversation
0: i think people are and i don't mean this in a derogatory way people are lazy with their use of time it's taken me a, a, a long time to come to a realization that the more structured my day is the more free time i have to do the things i you know i want to do like chill and walk and the, the free time as it were and one of the things i found and i've done it certainly fairly religiously through lockdown and for quite a while before is get up earlier than I I need to get up to do things in the morning. I have what I call my morning routine to do certain things, which could be some exercise, some journaling, some I do some meditation, some transcendental meditation, you know, my breakfast, all sorts of things. And by the time I've done that and I'm ready for the day, I know I've I've had a good couple of hours before my day's even started. And then during the day, try and lock down a podcast, for example. So I've an hour for preparation an hour for the podcast then I try and set times for certain you know meetings or calls or certain tasks I want to do and if I don't do them well I'll maybe scrap it off and I'll forward it for the next day so it's it's about for me it's about self-discipline but this time of lockdown that is a skill in itself because I'm what concerns me is people have all this time now and they say they still haven't got enough time to do the things they want to do, but they haven't got the skill set to understand what it is they need to do to, to break down their, their days into useful chunks of time to do the things they want to do. That itself is a discipline. And that that is something I know you teach and you, because you, you, you audit people's days, don't you? Into, into, you? You break them down into detail. Yeah, we've got the time audits, which is the first step. And that must be really scary for people. They must think, oh, shit, where, where's that day gone? What am I doing with my life?
1: Everything for me is about reframing, though. So discipline is one of my favourite words because discipline gives me more time. Discipline gives me more life. Discipline brings me more joy. And this came from one of my mentors that I just got to see before we went into lockdown. Brendan Burchard in the US. I flew to San Diego literally at the start of the year. It's crazy to think. Um, But he talked about how the more disciplined we can be, the more time we can have for the other activities, because then you're not wasting time faffing around. And chunking is amazing. And doing focused chunks is amazing. And working out how to focus yourself. I've, On The Daily Show, I talk about different things every week. So I've been talking to them about focus apps um, that you can download to your phone and you can grow a virtual tree for 45 minutes or whatever and if you go to touch your phone it will say oh do you want to kill the tree and it just it's a weird like brain sciencey dopamine kind of thing where you get to the end and it gives you the points and then if you grow enough trees over a period of time you can get a new tree with the coins and someone said just buy a different tree get a different app i'm like you don't understand i want to earn these silly little coins to get a better looking tree to grow a different type of forest, because some of it is then me knowing that I've invested that focus time in myself. So focus time is huge. Chunking is huge. Trying to go into d- an undistracted time. Another mentor said to me, if it's not in my diary, I don't do it. So I took that on board at the start of lockdown. Um, I wasn't really somebody who put everything in my diary, but he was like, put everything in your diary so i put my morning walks i put my routine i put my meditation i put my time for lunch i put a 3 p.m reflection time for five minutes i get this calendar thing that says reflection and sometimes i'm like oh what busy go away and other times i'm like no we need this i told you before we went live i had to check that i turned off my um announcer i have a mac which i absolutely love my apple mac and um you can set it so it can announce the time this guy announces the time to me every 30 minutes um, I used to have it 15 that was a bit too much I had it an hour that was a bit too little but every half an hour it just brings me back and I hear him and I'm like oh okay that's the time I set ridiculous timers I've got like a, a strawberry um kitchen clock
0: ah I, I got a I got I've got my tomato
1: yeah well mine's a strawberry one but
0: for the Pomodoro Yeah, technique. similar
1: to the Pomodoro. But so all of these little tools and techniques really, really work. But it's all about building it up. So my first thing with the clients is where is your time going? We can't do anything until you know where your time is going. And then the second thing is why do you want more time? Because I could teach you anything. You've read the books. You've done the courses. You actually freaking know what to do, but you're not doing it. So why aren't you doing it? Because you don't care because you haven't got enough incentive, you haven't got a purpose to do it. So we spend quite a bit of time working on what people's purpose is. And then once they've got the purpose, they don't necessarily need like a draconian accountability, because it's about them not letting themselves down. And I'm super, super keen on teaching people how to not disappoint themselves and take self-responsibility and be their own role model, because otherwise who are you trying to impress? Nobody really cares, is what my mental friend said. He was like, nobody cares. Nobody knows you. So all of these thoughts in people's heads, like, what will people think when I'm really this, that and the other? Nobody cares.
0: No, they're too busy with their own lives. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. They've all got these ideas going around in their head. Of, what do they think of me? What are they looking at me? What do they see? Nobody gives them monkeys. They've got too many issues going on in their own their own lives to care about what's going on in your head. But what one of the things was going back to To lockdown, as I say, we've still got these twenty four hours, but have we got more time now to be concerned with ourselves, be concerned with where the way our lives are going, to get more depressed and anxious about the future? I mean a lot of people are taking time to to reflect and think about what they want to do with their lives, but equally there must be a lot of people out there who are struggling, having all this unstructured time on their hands.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's such a long conversation, but in essence it's good to think you know what was the, was it plato said i think therefore i am um it's good to think but it's good to act and it's also good to accept and it's also good to forgive and it's also good to let go the past is the past forgive it forgive yourself it's got you to where you are today this is what sort of can trap us quite often in the the depression and the anxiety because we're we're looking at where we are right now, we're comparing it to where we thought we should be and then we start to beat ourselves with a stick And say, this isn't good enough. You should have done X, Y, Z. You know, I said, you reap what you sow. Some people are looking at a 10 year legacy and going, what the heck have I done with the last 10 years? I'm in lockdown in a place I don't want to be, in a relationship I don't want to be in, without a relationship, with kids, without kids, with animals, without animals, in a country I do or don't want to be in. You know, everything so this is 2020 2020 is like the year of the reset it's the year of the reckoning it's the year of the review but it's learning how to review with with love with self-love with compassion with forgiveness and that's where in some ways it is useful to do some of this process with a second person be that a, a therapist a friend um, a partner, but it's it's usually better to do it with um, somebody removed, so a counsellor or somebody like that.
0: What do you see yourself as? A coach, a therapist, a counsellor, a a friend, <laughs> an accountability partner?
1: I would say I am. Um, I kind of more describe myself as a coach mentor, because if I was a pure coach, I would be, oh okay, and and how does that make you feel? And what are you going to do about it? And when are you going to do it by? But the mentoring comes in where I can say, I understand, you know, and this is how I did it and try this book and do this thing. And so I'm I'm kind of guiding them a little bit more to to dig a little bit deeper. And I also would describe myself as the mirror. So literally, you could come to work with me and absolutely love me. You could come to work with me and not not really resonate with me at all. It's nothing to do with me. I'm the mirror. And you're looking at yourself and what you see you don't like. So let's have a conversation about that. But I am very clear on the boundaries of where people need professional help, they must seek that professional help. And I have sort of people that peers that I would recommend people to. And I'm able to sense that out maybe more than others because of the journey that I've been on. But equally, I'm an eternal student as well. So I always say to people do your own research. And I think it's um, luckily, I I think we're moving into an era now where people don't take what one person says as gospel, that they do go off and um, they understand there's no magic pill. There's no quick fix. There's no one session and then you'll be then you'll be fixed because nobody's broken. And so just to come back to something we were saying earlier, what happens to you happens for you. And that's a real bitter pill for some people to swallow.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, not everybody will agree with that. Not everybody, because not everybody accepts that things just are what they are, and it's what you make of them.
1: And I totally, I totally understand that some of the things that have happened to people are, you know, horrific. But with enough time, with enough conversations, with enough sort of introspection and therapies and all sorts, and the t- it takes as long as it takes, but you can get to a place where you see that what happened to you happened for you because who you are today means that you can do what you're here to do with what you've got like you wouldn't have started this podcast if you hadn't have been in the hospital with the time I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't literally been punched in the face hit to the ground by the
0: universe
1: and told rebuild
0: but this leads on to a topic which is one of these ones difficult to get a grasp on, get a handle on, which is the topic, the, the question of resilience. What, what makes one person, you for example, stand up and say, right, that's it, I've had this near-death experience, I've got to do something different with my life, whereas another person would would just you know f- fall down and not get up why why do some people get up i mean there's the the, the fabulous um world-renowned book by victor frankl the man's search for meaning you know that he was stuck in auschwitz he lost his family and yet he came out and he he found meaning in his life while he was there because he had a certain resilience and is that all about having certain values and certain belief systems or is it the way you're brought up was it we're just all different and it's just how ha- you know the way the cookie crumbles
1: I truly believe everybody's got a strong core and it's just about getting to and finding that strong core. And you find that strong core when you connect to yourself, when you, and it, it it often has to be when you're at your lowest low, when you're on your own, because you then suddenly realize all you've got is your mind. And if you keep fighting your mind, you'll fight till you die. If you can converse with your mind, work with your mind, understand your mind, hear what it has to say and this is going to sound a bit crazy but sometimes you need to sit down with a piece of paper and write like you take notes for your mind like it's dictating to you you're you're really bad you can't do this it's never going to work out nobody takes you seriously i don't take you seriously what what you what you did in the past um you can't afford it who do you think you are like write it all down and then take a step back and go oh wow I'm sorry you feel that way. And so it's becoming the observer and knowing that I am not my thoughts. And this is where we start to sort of go down more the spiritual path. Um, And I never thought at the start of all this, Steve, that I was going to go on a spiritual journey. I mean, one of my um, big inspirations is Brene Brown and she did her TEDx talk about seven or eight years ago now. And it's funny because what she talks about now is so mainstream. What this professor is talking about now is so mainstream. But back then, it wasn't. It was kind of, they were the outliers. So when she talked about how she just wanted to measure shame and put it in a box and put it in a book and that was it, but she actually had to feel it. So in business, in life, in work, in relationships, in whatever, you can't read a book. You can't study the perfect way to do it. As one of my mentors said to me, Abigail, you've just got to dive in that water and find out for yourself. Is it cold? Is it deep? Will I drown? And I said to him, but but if I drown, he's like, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll throw a hand out for you. He's like, but trust me, you won't. And um, the professor was sharing this really interesting and I don't know the, the science study of this, but he was sharing this really interesting study about mice that they did years and years ago. And they put two mice into a, into a tube um, and it, two mice don't want to be in a tube. So one mouse is supposed to push the other mouse out of the tube and the mouse that pushes the other mouse out of the tube is the winner. And then when they would do the experiment again and again and again, that mouse knows it's the winner, so it will always win. So it, it's like it sets something up in its brain to always win. But he said, here's the interesting thing. If they did the experiment again and pushed one of the mice... Like just a little shove, it would think it was winning and it would push the other mouse out. Then it would go into the tube again, not be pushed, but it would be going into the tube again as a winner. So, this really gave me hope that we can actually program our brain and that mentors can have an impact on us, coaches, um, you know, all, t- all sorts of people that you work with who, somebody who says, Oh, I can see something in you, that can be enough that can be that little push or sort of like my mentor saying just get into the get into the water and he did that by giving me my fir- one of my first opportunities to speak and i wasn't not ready no way was i ready
0: how, how how petrified was that the scariest thing you've ever had to do public your first public talk
1: he gave me 60 minutes. Now, Steve, I've got a book about time management, right? He said to me, Abigail, you've just written this book about time management. You understand time management. Of course, you can talk to your peers in this mastermind about time management because there's like 40 or 50 of them and they know you and they're going to they're gonna kind of give you a bit of, a bit of slack. So I'm like, yeah, of course I can do this. And I'd also been taught to say yes and then figure it out because this is what all of the mentors kept saying in the events I went to. Say yes, figure it out. So I say yes. And then I'm saying to him, right, Okay, I hate death by PowerPoint, so I'm just going to do maybe 10 slides and um, talk through everything. He's like, okay. I said, well, what would you do? He said, oh, I'd have maybe 40 or 50 slides so that I could just flick through them and that would keep me on a patter that would keep me going. I was like, no, that's crazy. People are not going to want to watch that many slides. He's like, no, I just, I do it so that it helps me kind of space out the content. I'm like, oh, okay. Anyway, this was like eight, eight nine years ago. I think he presents in a different way, as we all do. But... um I was adamant I was going to do it my way. So I get up there and I am sort of shaking. I'm holding the mic and I'm shaking. So I introduce myself. I put up this slide with me, with my book, my blinking face, which is like, well, my body, which is huge on the front cover of the book. I was already having imposter syndrome about that. I look out to the audience. I say, hi, I'm go. I've written a book like you guys know me. I'm here to talk about time management. And and I want to talk to you about la 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 la. la. And my voice is getting quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter, quieter. Anyway, fast forward fifteen minutes. I'm done. I've gone through my ten slides. I'm done. Fifteen minutes of my full of my sixty minutes. I'm done.
0: And, and the audience was expecting a sixty minute. The
1: or... audience was expecting a sixty minute thing. My mentor comes to the front of the room, claps, and is like, thanks very much, Abigail, for that introduction to time management. (laughs) Now, guys, let's talk about time management. I sat down and I was so embarrassed. I just had all these emotions hit me. But I tell you, the one thing that rose up in me was, I want to get better. And this kind of comes back to the question that you're asking about, is it in us? It was only in going through the motions of diving into the deep end, like get yeah, scared, that I was able to then feel that emotion rise up in me. So when I'm talking to my clients, when I'm coaching people, I'm saying, I can't, I can teach you how to spell water. I can show you the water, but I can't tell you how it's going to feel until you dive in. And yes, if it looks like you're drowning, I'll throw you a hand. And he threw me a hand that day. Needless to say, when I said to him, okay, I want to speak again, he didn't let me speak on his stage for about three years. Well,
0: it's all part of the learning process. And look, you saved the audience 45 minutes. Well, no, because then <laughs> they had
1: 45 minutes of him
0: with all his notes. <laughs> so there's always an upside, or you can always find an upside normally. Well, look, the, um, I don't know if you've spotted it, but the uh, Our Connection, when I first started doing this a couple of years ago, I'd have been really like you. I'd have been, oh, what the hell? I can't cope with this. And I'm scared. I, I don't listen to any of my recordings back, by the way, because I can't stand the sound of my voice. And yet lots of people say, you've got a really good voice for a podcast and radio, and it sounds really good. And we love it. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm not going to listen to myself. And my my mentor, Mark Asquith, big shout out yet again to Mark. When I was setting up the podcast, he said, just just record somebody just do an interview just go and speak to somebody and put a mic under them and just start speaking i said what about he said you are just 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 do it just start doing it and then, okay so i did a few and i didn't publish any of them He said, now just put it out there said, i can't it's shit it's rubbish i can't no just do it and i'll tell you what that was the most scary thing put it putting content out because to me putting content out there my content meant i was creating something i I don't have a creative bone in my body, really. I've always been dealing with insurance claims. nothing creative about dealing with insurance claims. It's very, uh, very aimly, retentive, looking at policy contracts with a legal background.
1: I think we've all got a creative bone in our body.
0: I do as well now, but I never did.
1: I think it was... Beaten out of us, and um, in preference for the left brain, kind of more academic stuff. And just on that point, when I did the first episode of the Productive Wellbeing Show, I set myself the most ridiculous challenge. I decided I was going to stream to three platforms so I was going to do Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So at the start of my like journey to 52 episodes that I've just sort of published uh, a little video summarizing where we've got to right now. um, There's a picture of me looking up and I'm looking up because I was doing that terrible thing of looking to three different places. And Obviously, straight away, as soon as I'd done that, I realised I'm not going to do that again. Anyway, long story short, I didn't want to put that first episode on YouTube. I really, really didn't want to because I was like, this is so embarrassing. By episode 49, 50, I'm, I'm more in a flow. I've got my, my setup and I look much better. But in essence, and this is just to say to your audience that you, will, you should always be outgrowing your comfort zone. Comfort is the kiss of death. And that life is an evolution. So it's about outgrowing that comfort zone again and again and again and again and again. And And if you don't feel a little bit um, sick or a little bit uncertain about anything that you do, then you're taking it too much for granted. And you're also in your ego, because had I not, like you, started something without really fully knowing how it was going to be and then having the courage just to share it, it's not about how I think I look it's about is the audience resonating with the message because half the time they're probably not even watching and being like why is she wearing that orange top when it doesn't go with her colors and she should have the light on her face and the camera should be higher you know they're not thinking all the and if they are doesn't matter they're not then they're not your audience then they're not your people
0: no absolutely well look it's been a gone an hour full hour now so uh, where, where where does time go when you're having fun Eh. That's another That's another weird conundrum about time. How quickly it goes uh, when you're having fun and how slowly it goes when you're bored and not fulfilled.
1: I can't believe we're ending here because then we could talk about time. Like time doesn't actually even really exist. And um, we could get onto Einstein time. That's amazing. But we'll talk about that another time.
0: Yeah, black holes and folding back time on itself and all that sort of weird stuff. But um, so before before we wrap up, I ask all my guests, and hopefully you've given it a little bit of thought, to think of one or two places in London that are special or personal to you. Have you had a chance to have a a think about that?
1: I would say my first place is just outside of the Bank of England. It is the Royal Exchange, and that's where I went when I first came to London when I was seven. And um, I was just wowed by all these busy people in the city in their suits, um, working, 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 and I just wanted to be like them. So that was the seven-year-old who wanted this sort of career. And then I would say my second favourite place in London would have to be in the West End. Um, I absolutely love the the Green Park um, and the Hyde Park kind of area because you've got these amazing oasises in the middle of just some of the best shops, the best streets, the best You've got sort of just the Ritz around the corner and all of this. And when I was doing my twenty-six mile runs per week, I used to run sort of a couple of miles a day. I used to run all around there, um, and I did that at like sort of six thirty in the morning before work. So I have a real um, soft spot in my heart for that area because it really reminds me of pounding the pavements when it's quiet the the london's not really opened yet the tourists aren't out um and you can just be and you can go from a street to nature and back to a street again
0: the royal exchange is a, is a stunning building which i'm embarrassed to say until quite recently probably the last couple of years i hadn't actually visited properly been past it many times, but hadn't actually been inside. So I met met a, a guy for a, a coffee in there, and it's just what a, what a magnificent building that is! It's beautiful. So, absolutely, that goes straight to the top of the pops for me. That that building, and then as you say, the green spaces in London. We're we're blessed in London to have met dozens of wonderful parks, and Green Park and Hyde Park and Regents Park are all absolutely beautiful, and have been a godsend during this um, weird time. Going out for walks, getting some fresh air, getting some green. Well, the sun's been shining.
1: Well, we we had this conversation the other day, but I would say, um, for me, having travelled and lived around the world, London is the best city in the world.
0: Here, here to that. Hence, your London legacy, and you're you're continuing to leave your London legacy in and around our beautiful city, and also, please God, around you know the rest of the country and around the globe as um, we unwind and unlock, and you keep doing your good work. So it's been, uh, oh, before we go completely wrap up, how do people find you? How can people get in touch with you and find out about your YouTube channel and, you know, mentorship?
1: Most days I hang out on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn as Abigail Barnes or on Instagram as a Barnes author. I'm a Barnes author on all social platforms, in fact, and the website is Success by Design Training.
0: And the name of your book, might as well give that a shout out.
1: My book is called Time Management for Entrepreneurs. And um, it has been bought by professionals and entrepreneurs. I just wanted to call it that title. <laughs> but <laughs> knowing what I know now, Steve, I probably would have just called it, you know, Master Your Time. But
0: Absolutely. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you ever so much. And um, good luck. Keep up your good work.
1: Amazing. Thanks for having me.
0: Pleasure. I absolutely love creating your London legacy for you, and the feedback and testimonials are awesome. But as it grows, so it consumes more and more resources. So I've joined forces with Patreon, a really cool place where you can show your love and support from just as little as $2 a month as a silver Londoner, right up to $300 per month, where you get the crown jewels. Each level of subscription opens up a host of exclusive extra goodies, events, bonus shows, and sponsorship opportunities only available via via Patreon. I do hope you'll continue to support what we're doing here, and I'm so grateful for whatever you feel able to give. So please head over to www.patreon.com forward slash yourlondonlegacy. That's www.patreon.com forward slash yourlondonlegacy.